Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, a new survey says more Canadians are interested in getting a COVID-19 vaccine. Why the change of opinion? The U.S. president thought about striking a nuclear site in Iran last week, but was talked out of it. Will he set the place ablaze on the way out of the White House? And what is on your Christmas list this year? How about a new toy? Apparently sales are up. Winter goods, too. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. In celebration of being in co-red, we put up our Christmas tree this weekend. The Thompsons will use any excuse to have fun. Except for the vacuuming part. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. Go on, wash your hands and you sing. You know, we could just sit here all day and just recreate songs with a COVID queen. Uh, but then, you know, it'd be like singing Christmas carols. After a while, you just go insane. All right. Uh, hey, good afternoon. It's 1210. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air. Uh, feel free to uh, join us. We would love to have you. Love to hear from you. Uh, getting lots of uh, response uh, on email in regard to the podcast, and we thank you for that. And, of course, uh, feel free. Hit the website. Hit the show page. You'll find out all about that and how you can subscribe. Uh, feel free to join the conversation here. All you have to do is send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open as well. Don't forget about Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can also join the conversation there. We will have uh, or the podcast uh, edition of the commentary is there waiting for you. Uh, let's uh, hear a report from Tina Trajani from Global News. Uh, we've talked about this many times on the show. What will happen once a vaccination is finally ready? We certainly know there are those that are behind the anti-vaxxer movement uh, and, and certainly don't remember what's happened in generations past with regard to uh, this sort of thing. But uh, it's amazing. People's opinions seem to be changing. Listen to this. Nearly 70% of survey respondents say they will take a needle to the arm to be protected against the virus, which has infected over 300,000 Canadians to this point. That's up 6% from the last survey. 37% indicate they would get the shot as soon as it became available. That could be sometime in the spring. 42% of those who took part in the survey say the vaccine should be mandatory for all Canadians. But just over 20% say they have no plans to get vaccinated. Although concerning, pollster Christian Bork says it doesn't necessarily mean a growth in anti-vaccine sentiment. Only 9% say vaccines are dangerous and should not be taken or given. Tina Trajani, Global News. Let's bring in Stephen Taylor, PhD, professor and clinical psychologist, Department of Psychiatry, University of British Columbia, and is with us now. Stephen, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks, Scott. Thanks very much. So your thoughts on how our attitudes seem to be changing on a vaccination? Well, that's great news that more people are becoming amenable to the vaccine. Um, but we're finding in our research there are really two kinds of people who are vaccination hesitant. One are the anti-vaxxers, those hardcore people, and they're not going to be easily persuaded. And the others are the people who say, well, this vaccine is new, doesn't have a track record. And they're the people who sort of stand back and wait for the early adopters to get vaccinated. And I'm guessing that those people will be more and more likely to get vaccinated once they see everyone else is getting vaccinated with no ill effects. 
I'm sure it's a lot different when uh, people cannot see any sort of disease on the horizon as opposed to living in a pandemic. How has people's needs just to want to, to find some sort of new normalcy uh, fueling this? Well, that's true. And the needs for a new normal are associated with um, you know, wanting to get vaccinated, but also associated with people violating social distancing. So, But I think the thing is, a vaccine is just one tool in our toolkit for combating this pandemic, we need to use all the tools, including adhering to social distancing, wearing masks, hand hygiene, and so forth. How do you explain the movement of those that, you know, we've certainly seen uh, locally in various areas, certainly more rurally, I'm guessing, uh, well, uh, in our situation in Ontario anyway, but why the why the confusion, why the the rise in, in anti-maskers or anti-vaxxers, whatever you want to call uh, call them. Obviously, people are fatigued with this pandemic. Um, but how do you explain people's behaviors? Well, it's, compl- it's complicated. But in our research, we're finding that the people who are anti-mask also tend to be anti-vax. They want to open up the community. And they also tend to be a little more politically conservative. And for those people... Some of them have this, what's called a strong psychological reactance. It's a kind of an allergic reaction to being told what to do. It's a kind of you're not the boss of me response. And when government steps in to recommend or mandate masks or so forth, these people re- react, they, they, they rebel. And so that seems to be underpinning um, some of these, these protest marches. What about when they see results, when they see hospitals filling up or uh, emergency wards, ICU units, that sort of thing? Uh, as long as they make the decision on their own, are they more comfortable with that? Sometimes that can dramatically change their uh, their views. And I've seen this just anecdotally that the, the people who are anti-mask or anti-vax, suddenly a good friend becomes sick and dies and that they change their opinions dramatically suddenly they're on board with wearing masks when something personally touches them why does this uh why why do people react to this why does this light the fuse um i guess it's part of the for for some people uh well we're in an individualistic society in which we're taught to value freedoms and some people are raised to really strongly value their freedoms and so they're particularly likely to react with this, this strong allergic reaction to being told what to do. We've certainly heard information of late from two vaccine uh, companies that are in the midst of trials still. It's still early, uh, still a ways away, but they're proving to be quite effective, 90, 94 percent effective and such. Uh, do people view it as, well, it's effective, so as long as some people get it, I'm fine? Unfortunately, there will always be those um, uh, freeloaders, these, these people who, who like to ride on the coattails of others getting vaccinated. But I'm hopeful that um, with more community education programs, that, that people understand you're, you're actually, by getting vaccinated, you're protecting people in your community who are unable to get vaccinated. There was an odd story uh, coming out of uh, the United States today, and I believe it was South Dakota, someplace in, in the Midwest, uh, where a nurse was telling uh, of having to treat patients, and even while she's treating patients and they're dying, they are still refusing to accept that they have COVID nineteen. Have you heard of her? Ever heard of anything like that before? I actually read the Dakota's uh, reports. Um, I've never heard of anything like that, but it's consistent from what we're hearing out of the Dakotas, where these people are extremely um, protective of their freedoms. 
uh, and the, the hospitals are full. And what goes along with this uh, extreme psychological reactions in some cases is people buying into conspiracy theories, the strong belief that this whole COVID thing is exaggerated. And we're seeing that in these very, very dramatic stories of people going to their graves, denying the reality of COVID-19. How does the misinformation spread? Uh, you know, how, where are these, is this social media? Where are they getting this conviction? Uh, I guess it, it spreads in a variety of ways. Uh, people with um, hardcore beliefs in conspiracy theories or hardcore anti-vax theories, they tend to exist in silos. So they will have their own social media groups where they filter their own news and they reinforce one another's views. So social media does play a big role, but also our political leaders. If you have a political leader espousing conspiracy theories or things like that, that does sway some people. Um, let's move to the United States. With Obviously, we see what's happening down there with the election and, and the president not conceding, uh, slowing everything down, trying to... Uh, create as much of uh, of a problem as possible. Um, m- many have talked about of how that will raise suspicion, more suspicion about institutions and democracy and such. Uh, how much does that worry you when you see leaders reacting that way? That's or a, a, let's be spe- let's be specific, a leader. People look to their leaders for guidance, and we know from previous research, let me give you an example. In Liberia in the 2000s, during the Ebola outbreak, the people who didn't listen to the government and didn't socially distance during Ebola uh, didn't trust the government. So trusting government is hugely important, and if people don't trust their government, they're not going to go out and follow government recommendations about vaccination, wearing masks, and so forth. How do you explain the difference between Canada and the United States on these issues? Uh, Well, um, you know, the differences aren't as big as you might think. We're finding the conservatives in Canada are also tending to be anti-mask, more so than liberals. But the United States, it's... Uh, well, Donald Trump, of course, with his espousal of conspiracy theories, his initially disparaging masks, his um, plans to rush a vaccine into production, which uh, makes people worry that it's in too rushed. So um, I think that's a, a big factor in differentiating the United States from Canada. Can you win that trust back? How, how, long, how damaging is that? How long does it take to regain that trust? That's a good question. I think time will tell. I'm hopeful that trust will be regained, but it could take some some months for that to happen. Is it not as common sense as if we don't trust these institutions, what the heck do we trust? I mean, you have to put your faith in something, do you not? Exactly, exactly. Who do you trust? Well, I'm hopeful that uh, the people who don't trust the government will trust the health authorities. They will trust our uh, Dr. Fauci, for example, that will, they will put their faith in something, and hopefully it will be science-based. Uh, how concerned are you with what is happening in the U.S. and that that may continue till January? And and, and the, obviously the United States, as, as most of the world, is, is heading into a tough time with heading into winter and, and indoors and, and closures and such uh, as a result of this pandemic. How concerned are you that we're, the United States is having these issues with transition and whether it's doubt or whether, whether it's sowing doubt or whether it's uh, throwing... Uh, you know, a stick into the plans of, of distribution of a vaccine. How much does that concern you? 
I'm concerned that, that all of this disruption and the additional stresses to people will have impacts on their mental health and will have impacts on the management of COVID-19. So I think this is going to make the pandemic a, a little worse, at least in the short term. Are you hopeful that uh, with uh, uh, President Biden-elect hopefully getting in there and and getting and already having a handle on a task force and such that that the direction will turn for the United States for the best? Yeah, I'm hopeful of that. I'm hopeful that the committees will be science-based, that the messages will be uh, consistent and that there won't be any touting of, of bogus bogus treatments such as, uh, and so we won't be seeing things like uh, Obviously, people are set in stone in some ways about their decision. Uh, you know, it's either this or that. That being said, do you think that, uh, this pandemic has taught us anything and will somehow correct some of these problems? Um, that's a good question. Only time will tell. In the past, people have been myopic. That once the pandemic has been over, they've forgotten about it and moved on with their lives. I'm hoping we will learn some of the lessons of, of this pandemic uh, and use those lessons for planning for the next pandemic. There will be future pandemics and for planning for the challenges facing us with uh, climate change. The fact that this has seemed to in somehow, in some way, affect virtually everybody. Uh, you, you talked about those past situations not necessarily affecting all points or all corners of the world. This one certainly has. Will that message uh, be delivered because of that? Because we're all getting the same, we're all living the same experience. Pretty much. Um, I'm hopeful that um, we'll, well, just to back up a bit, most people are resilient to stress. So most of us will come out of this just fine, or even though we might not be feeling great at the moment. My concern, however, is about that minority of people with the long-term mental health impacts. That we need the resources there to, to, to help those individuals. Stephen Taylor has been with us, PhD, uh, professor and clinical psychologist, Department of Psychiatry, University of British Columbia, talking about uh, opinions changing on a vaccine uh, in regard to COVID-19, and more people are interested. Stephen, thank you for the time. Be well. Thanks very much, Scott. Uh, Canadian manufacturers are gearing up for the uh, the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine. We have heard that refrigeration is an issue, at least with the first one, Pfizer. Uh, And how has that, uh, we've seen many Ontario and Canadian companies pivot to try to help out here. Let's uh, bring in Jim Estill, President and Chief Executive Officer of Danby. Yeah, they make the fridges. And he is with us now. Jim, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hope you're doing well. I am. Thanks for having me on. And by the way, I have one of your fridges downstairs at my bar right now as we speak. Oh, great. And, and you know what? I, I, might, I might go visit that after the show is over. <laughs> uh, anyway, so tell us how, how Danby's involved in, in the vaccination distribution uh, process. Well, uh, I'm sure you've read that the Pfizer vaccine needs minus 80 freezers. We're, we make half a million freezers a year. We're in the freezer business. So we are coming out with our minus 80 freezers to uh, serve this current need. How big a deal is it for you to pivot and produce these? Uh, Reasonably big deal. I mean, it's not something that we just decided yesterday to make. Uh, It's actually been on the drawing board for quite a while. Uh, We have um, factories that have already made some for other purposes. We have a product called Danby Health, which is a um, a refrigerator that's designed for use in pharmacies and uh, doctor's offices that has all of the 
um, internet connections and uh, fail-safe alarms and stuff like that that are needed for this. So it's a bit of a big deal, but we're a freezer company. So if anyone's going to pull it off fast enough, I think we're as well-equipped as anyone. Is this, a ju- is this just a case of making a freezer that goes really, really cold? I mean, what kind of challenges does this present you with? Uh, well, it is making a freezer that goes really, really cold, but you can't take your home freezer and say, oh, you're just going to crank it down. Um, yeah. You actually have to put two, again, probably technically, you have to put two compressors. One cools it, uh, cools the gas before it goes to a second one, which cools it even further. So it, it's not even the same compressor system as in your freezer. Plus, of course, you have to have insulation um, appro- that's appropriate for it. So it's pretty complicated. Um and because the volumes are low, it's also pretty expensive. Yeah. So would this be, is this just you guys doing this for this scenario, or have you found a new product line that you could maybe even use post-pandemic? So we will do it probably post-pandemic as well. The Pfizer vaccine is called an RNA vaccine. And it's the first of RNA vaccines that are coming available in the market. And many of those will need this super cold freezer I noticed the Moderna one does not, but uh, I think that this is the first of multiple vaccines we're going to see in the future that need this uh, this super cold. And it already has some other uses um, in the market. So it's a product we're adding to our product line, but right now we're, we're racing to get production done and to uh, you know get these things flowing because our goal is to make it so that we're there before the vaccine or as the vaccine is Mm. coming available because it's kind of a chicken and egg. It doesn't help to have the vaccine and say, oh, yeah, by the way, we can't ship it. We can't store it. Um, You need to uh, have them work in parallel. Jim Estill is with us, President and Chief Executive Officer of Danby up in Guelph and Canadian Manufacturers gearing up for the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine by providing the refrigeration that will be needed to roll this all out. And again, seeing many Canadian and Ontario businesses pivoting uh, to help us get through this. Jim, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well and uh, good luck with all of this. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. According to reports, U.S. President Donald Trump asked last week about a stri- about striking a nuclear site in Iran. But then after being given advice, he decided against this. Uh, we had talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, even prior to the actual election, we were talking with some uh, political science uh, academics and pundits saying that uh, in, in the final stages of the campaign, when it looked like uh, uh, Biden was was inching ahead, would Trump can create some kind of conflict? You know, much remember North Korea, you know, you create a conflict and then you save the world by backing out of it or fixing it in some way. Uh, many were thinking that there might be some sort of military action just to try to uh, distract everybody from the campaign. And then, of course, the president going in and, and saving the world. So uh, now we're hearing of this. Not sure if it's uh, along the same lines or not. Let's bring in Ferry to Kirchhoff, a senior fellow, faculty of social sciences, graduate school of public and international affairs at the University of Ottawa and is with us now. Ferry, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. With pleasure, Scott. I'm doing very, very well. Confinement fits me perfectly. Uh, you know, an elderly <laughs> statesman looking by the window, blah, blah, blah. So you're not minding, you're not minding the seclusion of a pandemic. 
Well, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to go there because people will be jealous. But, you know, we're, my wife and I are in our house that we've had for years. So it's much bigger than for two person. We've got a lovely park across the street. We live in one of the secluded areas of Ottawa where you can walk for an hour without bumping into more than five people. So I apologize to all the others. I'm pampered. But I guess I've deserved it. You know, it's funny. Many people have commented on how it has made their life smaller, simpler, taken out of the, a lot of those things away that really were frivolous, but just cost us a lot of time. Do you think we're? Do you think we'll realize that post pandemic? Well, maybe, but I'm I'm working even harder than when I was in the department because yeah. I'm involved in several contracts and teaching and all of that. I wouldn't I wouldn't be smiling if I wasn't hundred percent busy. So I I'm not sure I can respond to that question because I think I'm both privileged because of where I live and privileged because I'm still working. You know, that's a valid point, and my wife and I talk about that every day because we're both, again, working from home, privileged to be doing so. Um, but, boy, you spend a lot more time working, don't you? It's fine. It, you have to really work on that home schedule so you pull yeah. yourself away from it. Absolutely. All right, Ferry, let's talk about what's going on in the United States. We were chatting uh, with other uh, pundits and, and academics prior to the actual yeah. election saying, you know, he, he needs to do something to change the narrative here on the pandemic and what was going on. And, and many thought that there would be some sort of military action. Do you think that's what this is or is this warranted, this concern? Well, over uh, Iran? You know, we can make a short or a long interview. The short one is saying when you're dealing with a madman, totally unpredictable, what you do is you put you kneel on the floor and you start praying. That's the end of this interview. Now, the other way to look at it is that right from the beginning, I wrote a piece in month of June or even earlier, uh, a civil war to happen in the U.S., which was published in La Presse. And I, and, and, I, and, I, and I still think that in one way or another, we are in a kind of civil war, which, which continues to have some civility. But for Trump, not, not only is he, is he sulking in his White House or hitting a golf ball, but he is profoundly destructive. And so anything he can do to make the situation for Biden worse than it already is, he is going to do. Don't forget, he rejoices in, uh, in, in inflicting pain. It's, uh, we're talking about, you know, a, a psychopath in a way. And I hope that coming once he's out of place, he'll be, he'll be sued in one way or another for crime against humanity because of COVID-19 and other malfeasance that he's done. And I'll be delighted to see picture of him if he's in jail. And I'm only being nice right now. So let's get back to the Iranian case because it's, it's, it would have been a good one to, to try because there's a kind of consensus, a U.S. consensus that, you know, Iran is the enemy and all the, all those nice Arab countries with the nice Mohammed bin Salman and all, all these lovely guys who kill journalists are the good guys. So in a way, the, 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 the Suleiman assassination was welcomed by a, a large majority of the American to the extent they could pronounce the name and actually know who he was, because usually the Americans are not particularly aware of what goes on beyond their parish. But, but the point is that uh, it would have been a very dangerous ploy, and, and it would have engineered a nasty eruption in the Middle East, which would have 
really gone wrong and gone awry. And, and, and it would have done nothing in terms of rebuilding the nuclear uh, agreement, which he walked out of. So, and, and I'm not even sure that his Israeli friend, Netanyahu, would have appreciated at this time when Netanyahu is trying slowly to, first of all, put Gantz in, in, in a parlor and, and, and regain the, the confidence of his country unless there's a fourth election to come. There, there's so much uncertainty that I don't think Netanyahu would have thought that to be a particularly brilliant ploy. And, and so in a way, we, and, all, and all the advisors, to the extent that, again, Trump listened to his advice, said, well, listen, we're, you're going to see American soldiers all over the Middle East again if, if you go that route, and it's going to be a much nastier environment to play with. So I, that's my first little comment. Why would he decide to do this now, the timing of this, especially when he just uh, not too long ago fired his defense minister? Well, he fired his defense minister because the minister was critical of this beautiful march in, in, in Washington with the Bible in his hand. Come on, you'd fire anybody for preventing the, <laughs> the president of the United States to carry a Bible and put it upside down because he can't read. No, the, the, point, the point is that it's, it's all has to do with how much can I distract between now and January 20th. And, and I think he's got other stuff in mind, but that one, uh, I, I think he was quite tempted. I, I thought initially that he was actually to bomb nuclear, to use a nuclear tactical weapon against Iran, which could have been too, which would have been even worse. I, I, I think that at least at one stage, maybe Kushner uh, or another one would have said, listen, this is way too, too dangerous at that time. But I wouldn't put it past him, and maybe he'll revert to it, because he always thinks that his ideas are better than anyone else's. But I, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't go into the brain of this guy. Uh, and, I, and as I said, I, there'll be other stuff coming, coming out if he continues to lose all his legal case in, uh, in, in, the, in, in, in court. He will try and find something else. And you were absolutely right, the savior, the guy who deserved the Nobel Prize. He would, if he could do anything elsewhere, he would do it. And I, the problem is that he doesn't know geography. For instance, there's lots of stuff that happened in Africa, but ask him what Eritrea is and Ethiopia, and he'll draw a maximum blank. So the, he's never been to Africa, actually, during, during the four years of his tenancy. So I, I, I don't think that there's much hope. I fear that between now and the 20th of January, we will still have our our hair raised by fear and angst, but at, this, at least at this stage, the Iranian attack, I hope, is put to bed. A lot of people voted for Donald Trump. You, you talked about, you know, you can't get into the brain of Donald Trump. What about the brains of his base? Uh, do you think his base is looking at his actions now in admiration? Do you think they're enjoying what they're seeing now? I think the base is the, the real base, okay, because there's 74 million that voted yeah. for him, and they are not all part of the base. There are some conservative who don't want to see the likes of Biden, and this reference to socialism has been ingrained into a mind of a lot of conservatives, and it's their right to vote for whom they want, but it, it's sure that the propaganda on the socialist Biden and Ocasio-Cortez and all these guys have left an imprint because there is a foundational dimension to the Republican Party that hates big government and, and hates the notion of socialism. There's a second factor. 
that I would play before I even talk about the base. The, the one is the following, is that if you look at the long-term trend of the voters of the United States, the increased diversification, the Republican Party knows perfectly well that in terms of the overwhelming national vote, irrespective, of course, of the, of the electoral college and all that jazz, Basically, the Democrats are going to continue to expand and the Republican Party is going to shrink. So there is only one option for the Republican if they want to stay in power is, is either follow the Trumpian world, which gets them at least a base of malcontent, the deplorable, as they were called by, by Hillary Clinton, and then you'll try and build the bridge between the, 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 the you know, the, the, the guy, the Republican in the Senate and the base, which is really what Lindsey Graham, for instance, is trying to do these days. But, but the, you know, I, one has to respect the 74 million, whether they were indoctrinated because of the lie that was spewed by Trump. That, that's too easy an answer. There is a stock of people who are not seeing their income grow. They have seen hardness. They have seen growing inequality. They are the, the, the left behind. And it is something that is true generally in nearly every single Western country in one way or another. And Trump has seized on that. And that is going to, to continue until we find a better way with our capitalistic system without going to socialism to redistribute at least a part of the, that income back into the system. The problem is that as economies, we have reached the limit of our capabilities compared to in the 70s, where we could build infrastructure, create jobs and all that. We're, we're in a new world. And our political masters, and you and me, and I, have not adapted to that situation where a government can no longer account for some of the major issues that go beyond a single election pattern. And most, most parties now in power tend to punt issues that are too difficult. For instance, our government mm. in selecting a replacement fighter aircraft. Well, we've been punting it for years and years and years. Pretty yeah. soon you'll be able to buy an F-18 on the market uh, for scrap. So, I, you know, it's, it's much more important than just saying, oh, they're deplorable, oh, it's the mass. No, it's a fundamental civilizational issue that we haven't addressed yet because of our economic prowess that favors a few. Uh, only got about 30 seconds left here. What are you expecting with the presidency between now and January, now and Inauguration Day? I hope that nothing will happen, but I'm convinced there will be other wacko initiatives, more lies, and maybe some demonstration that could become really nasty if Trump, uh, suggested by his son, uh, starts really campaigning, as it were, for the masses to revolt. I haven't finished on the, on the civil war. I hope it won't happen, but I don't, pass it. I don't put it past the system of the U.S. Hmm. Ferry de Kirchhoff has been with us, Senior Fellow, Faculty of Social Sciences, Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. Ferry, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. My pleasure. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's move on and uh, talk about something more exciting and more fun. How about toys? Apparently, uh, toy retailers are preparing for one busy holiday season. What's different this year? Let's bring in Sean Williams, Vice President of Merchandising, E-Commerce, and Supply Chains at Toys R Us Canada, and is with us now. Sean, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, doing great, Scott. Thanks so are you expecting... Are you expecting to sell more toys this year because of the situation that we find ourselves in? Uh, we sure are. Yeah, we sure are. And uh, and I tell you, since the uh, kind of uh, return of uh, normalcy after the uh, the spring lockdowns, we've seen demand for you know all sorts of entertainment uh, for children uh, really continue to grow since uh, since that May June timeframe. So why more emphasis on toys, do you think? Why is this happening? What's different from other years? Obviously, there's a pandemic, but how is that changing? Yeah, if we go if we go back to the summertime frame, we had a, you know, obviously no summer camps. We had summer vacations interrupted, and we saw just a massive demand um, spike in, in all things outdoor, you know, backyard mm. play, bikes, any backyard games and things to keep kids entertained, because unfortunately there was no uh, organized sports or there was no vacations or summer camps are out there. So there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of need to keep kids entertained. And, you know, even as we've moved through back to school and into the, uh, into the fall season, you know, we have a number of kids who are opting for virtual learning and um, you still have a, um, you know, challenges for, uh, for people to travel and to, uh, to entertain themselves because unfortunately, you know, movies uh, aren't the same uh, sitting at home as they used to be in the theater with your kids. Uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head. It's up to everybody to keep themselves entertained. Are we seeing uh, a resurgence? I read somewhere that there we're seeing a resurgence back to traditional toys, uh, like stuff like even puzzles, things like that. Yeah, so puzzles and games have been um, have been one of the uh, the real strong points for us this year. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a you know, there's a time element to those games, but also a, a challenging element to some of those uh, those activities as well. So, not only for for kids, but also for adults, we've seen a large growth in you know adult puzzling uh, come back to uh, come back to the fold as well. What about uh, tech toys? Because they always seem to make a massive impact every year as more kids are buying tech than they are, or more parents, I guess, are buying tech for the kids than they are the old traditional stuff. Is that the same this year? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Obviously, through the first part of 2020, there was a lot of, um, you know, I joked around, I called them almost broccoli toys, right? The things that, um, you know, we thought would keep them entertained, but also keep kids uh, learning, you know, a Lego or some arts and crafts games. We've seen that uh shift a little bit as we went through the summer times and we got into a little bit more of the outdoor fun and into the fall it's good you know the screens have definitely come back in full force and uh, two major launches actually just happened last week the new xbox x and the new playstation 5 uh, both were you know just absolute sellouts insatiable demand and um, you know we saw we saw just tremendous traffic selling through on uh, the playstation uh, traffic greater than Black Friday last year with uh, with customers looking for that PlayStation 5 unit. Now, as a result of what we've seen, what we've seen in the summer, I remember everybody was trying to find a bike, couldn't get bikes. They were sold out. Uh, I remember going into various stores and the selection was was very low uh, with all, I guess, kind of summertime stuff. So are the, is there more on order? Will we see that? Will be there be a, ski, a shortage of skis and toboggans this year? Uh, yeah, I think you're going to see some people adapt quickly. I mean, one of the things that uh, we started looking at was, you know, how are you going to entertain yourself through the uh, through the winter seasons? You know, I think 
We've seen some competitors get out with some uh, backyard rink programs already. And uh, I do think that you're going to see uh, some trouble finding snow pants and ski boots and things like that as, uh, as you know, we're, we're, you know, we're Canadian. We like the winter. Uh, we'll be outside. I don't think that we can stay inside for, uh, for four months. So uh, because we are where we are, are you seeing increased sales as of this? How, do you, you, are you expecting a big year this year as opposed to last or, or maybe even next year? Yeah, so we're, you know, it's uh, it's been an interesting year. Normally the last uh, few weeks of the year obviously has that mad dash, uh, uh, mad dash of the Christmas rush. And uh, that's started, that, that's been going on, I would tell you, for probably the last uh, 8 to 12 weeks we've been seeing, you know, the pull forward of demand. And, you know, obviously as we know that uh, we've got to smooth out the uh, the curve here, you know, we had our top toy list launch as early as, uh, as it ever has at Toys R Us. It launched October 1st. Uh, and our and our toy book was out uh, earlier than normal into uh, into the October timeframe as well. So we definitely see October and September and October sales way ahead of um, trend in past years. I mean, the October industry results just came out; they were plus forty percent. Um, so wow. very very accelerated from prior years. And again, some I would tell you, I believe is uh, you know consumers pulling forward some demand, but some is just pure uh, pure pure demand and more more buyers in the category that is uh, than we found in years past. We remember uh, Christmas creep in years gone by, and people would say, my goodness, it's still Thanksgiving, it's still Halloween, and they're already talking about holidays and toys and, and all of the, the decorations and such, whereas I think this year people are looking for that, and they don't care too much about the Christmas creep. I know I can say that in our own house. We ended up putting up a tree this last weekend. So are people getting an early start on all this? Yeah, we're uh, we weren't alone in our um, in our call it our activations of the of the holiday season. We did see some of the other players in the marketplace pull forward as well. And you know, as we look at events and um, you know traditional promotional events like Black Friday, like they won't be the same as they've been in years past. And you know, for us, we've actually been celebrating Black Friday all month long, uh, giving Canadians a chance to get into stores um, and you know through our website and shop some great deals throughout the entire month of December. So that there isn't any of the uh, the compression or the uh, the impact on store traffic like we would have seen in prior years. What about uh, in store versus online? Because we all know what it's like to go into uh, you know a store such as yours, and and you know it's 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 heaven. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's great. Incredible. So really. yeah, it is. I mean, you know, you get in there and you just it just everything you, you see the smiles on people's faces, especially the kids. Uh, what would the impact of perhaps doing more online? Uh, does that affect it much? How do you how do you plan for that? And again, that experience of not going into a giant toy store like that. You know, look, there's uh, there's some different purposes for for different trips, and I think you know there's no substitute for for walking through a toy store with your kids and bringing bringing the joy to their face as they go through and uh, and select some of those those items that they're that they desire or that they've been dreaming about. But uh, you know, obviously, you know, as we're both being um, diligent about uh, you know safety in the stores, and also consumers are being diligent about their behaviors, we're seeing a massive shift to online. Uh, we already had a very developed business online, but it has grown significantly throughout 2020. And you know, we've been working really hard at making it easy for Canadians and um, and simpler. We've uh, we've introduced curbside pickup throughout uh, throughout 2020. So uh, that's been something Canadians have been picking in droves. So you know, the opportunity for you to select your items and uh, drive up, and we'll bring them right to your car. 
as well as we also just recently launched a same day program with DoorDash. So you can uh, actually have the uh, the toys delivered to your house, just like pizza now in 30 minutes or, you know, depending on your geography from the store. Uh, hmm. We're seeing delivery times well under an hour uh, for a lot of these deliveries. So advice for shoppers this year, uh, I guess, start early. Yeah, definitely, um, you know, make sure that you know know your list. Uh, there is, uh, you know, as much as we all want to, uh, uh, you know, to, to have the right mix for consumers as retailers, the demand continues to, uh, to accelerate and outstrip supply. So I do think you'll see some shortages going through the uh, the coming weeks if you haven't uh, crossed off that that key gift on your list. Uh, there's definitely lots of great items this year. There's a ton of innovation in the category, but uh, I do suspect you're going to see some some challenges for some of the hot toys uh, as we go through the next few weeks. What are the top few toys right now? What are, what are you expecting to fly off the shelf? Yeah, so there's uh, there's some really great ones this year. One of uh, one of my favorites, um, you know, is a combination from uh, from Nintendo and Super Mario Lego. Uh, so it's a you know a Lego property that has incorporated uh, the Super Mario Brothers video game and allows a child or an adult to uh, to engage with uh, Mario and almost and almost replicate the video game in uh, in 3D form. So that's super cool. Uh, there's a there's an awesome uh, Bowser's Castle that goes with it, a very uh, you know extravagant item as well. There is the um, you know everybody's uh, you know, darling of the year, Baby Yoda uh, from the Mandalorian. So there. <laughs> and apparently, a, one actually a, a stuffed animal went up to the the International Space Station just the other day. So there's one floating around up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. So yeah, there's a beautiful animatronic one that um, you know that kind of uh, engages and interacts, and uh, a, a ton of a ton of play factor with that item as well. And then um, you know there are some more traditional ones, like there's a um, you know there's a board game that uh, was uh, was was dear to my sister when we were growing up called Mall Madness that has come back and made a resurgence, and uh, you know some fun uh, some fun types of activities for kids to get engaged with as they're. Uh, they're spending some more time indoors and uh, and with their families over the next few months as well. Sean Williams has been with us, Vice President of Merchandising, E-Commerce, and Supply Chain at Toys R Us Canada. The advice is to shop early. Toys will be flying off the shelf as people are looking for joy and doing so a little closer to home. Sean, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Likewise. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. With wintry weather upon us, actually, I did see snowflakes today. Uh, potential restrictions in movement due to rising pandemic cases. How important to get up and moving for our mental and physical health this winter. Let's bring in Kathy Sharkey, the president of the Canadian Kinesiology Alliance, and is with us now. Kathy, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you. What is the Canadian Kinesiology Alliance? We are an association of kinesiologists who are movement specialists, and we are university trained, and we try to get people moving in a safe way, and we advocate for kinesiologists as well. Are we moving more or less during COVID-19? Because you seem to see a lot of people out walking now that you never used to. I think there's been a push for some people that have never been active before, and they really felt the aloneness of being at home and they got themselves out and they got moving and some people have done a wonderful job and then some people have been 
feeling really low because of the pandemic. And I think it's caused some anxiety and some depression. And they've retreated into their homes even more. So I think we have a little bit of both. So we want to encourage the people that have been moving to keep moving. Even though winter's coming, we have to think of ways to stay active. And those people that are having a hard time, we want to encourage them to get moving and do a little bit because a little goes a long way. How much of this has to do less with uh, perhaps physical uh, health and, and more to do with stress and, and mental health? I remember when I was a young kid and I was scrawny and I wanted to play football, I'd work out. And, and, and that's for me when I, I started very, very early. And it's just been an ongoing kind of lifestyle for me now. Um, but it's less about that and more about just a stress release. I mean, it's, it's less about body and conditioning, although that obviously happens when you do this. But mm-hmm. it's more about the mind than it is getting big muscles per se. It really is. And I think that's what we really want to focus on with people is exercising and and just getting moving. It doesn't have to be a full training program. We don't have to get ready for, you know, the 2021 Olympics, but (laughs) we can focus on just moving. and, And like you said, you actually just feel better doing some sort of activity because endorphins are released when you exercise. And there's actually changes in your brain Um, that happen and neurotransmitters increase and all these wonderful things happen and make you feel better and that will help you in your daily life as well. So the mental side of exercise is really, really important because you'll feel better and then you're more likely to continue doing more exercise and then that also helps your overall physical health too. So it's a a good win-win uh, obviously, if you you know if you're someone who's exercised regularly anyway, you know the advantages of doing it during a pandemic, which is why everybody's struggling to try to keep gyms open and and you know people saying no, this is a necessity. I need this. Um, but you know, obviously, um, there's those that are maybe not were not so active. Uh, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. So it might be more difficult to motivate them or to get them out. What advice do you have for those that perhaps weren't as physically active first, and now they're presented with a situation where they're locked down and they're barely moving and, and they need to get out and get exercise? What advice do you have for those that, you know, they, they need that extra help? Yeah, that's that's my typical client base. And, and those are people that I work with on a daily basis that don't know exactly what to do or how to do it. And they also have other conditions that might limit them. They might sure. have pain in their knees or their hips, or they might have a condition like diabetes. So they're really kind of in a bit of a rut because they don't know what to do. So my best advice is reach out. Reach out to someone that really knows this. And, and our, their best example is us kinesiologists. And we can help you to decide what is going to be best for you. But then we can also give you the best advice on what you should be doing. But I'll give you a little bit of things that we should be doing. Um, so we should be trying to exercise 150 minutes a week. So that mm-hmm. might sound a little daunting for somebody that's never exercised before. And my best advice is just start with something small. If you start with 5 to 10 minutes, you put those shoes on and you go for a walk and you tell yourself, I'm just going to do 5 minutes. And that's awesome. You may find yourself doing a titch more and even better. However, that little bit is going to start making change. So you have to just take, take the plunge, make a little bit of change in your day, go for a small walk or maybe move around the house a little bit more, whatever you're more comfortable with, and that will make a change in what your daily activity is, and then we can hopefully build on that. 
Kathy Sharkey has been with us, president of the Canadian Kinesiology Alliance, physical exercise and the winter and COVID-19 living with a pandemic. You have got to keep moving both for your own physical and your mental health. Kathy, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you so much, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.